Good morning. So good to be with you guys and so good to see you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into that announcement, that last announcement, just for a second that Evan described our, our brokenness to hope. You know, we've been walking through a series here called The Return of Hope all throughout December. And, you know, that just, just the image that's behind that phrase captures an intentional moment in Scripture where God describes the darkness of this world and brings a flood Right? What about what happens when the only remedy to the darkness of man is to, to just to obliterate everything? Right? That's a moment where it was bad before. And then is there any hope here? And then God puts this rainbow in the sky. Just this moment in which light pierces in and says, there's hope. And can I just say uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about us doing the Christmas musical this year is, you know, year after year after year, we travel through life and, and we do life and then we come to the Christmas season and it's unique and we all extend ourselves uniquely into it. But this year is probably like no other year. Right? 2020 has just been a year that has helped all of us to see brokenness. Do you know, I really can't offer you hope. That rainbow doesn't mean a thing until you've faced a flood then that rainbow means something, right? Hope doesn't mean a whole lot until you know how much you need it. And 2020 has been very helpful in that. Uh, it's put us in touch with the vulnerability and the frailness of being human beings. So I, I've got a chance to see some of what's being produced. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the message that's going to get communicated. I've watched six people in this testimony portion of, of this presentation next week, tell their story of brokenness. I didn't get past the first person before I was just buried in tears. These are people among us. These are just real people doing real life who there was a, a chapter in their life where their life was broken. So I'm going to stop this morning before we get into the message and just take a moment to pray. And those of you who are watching at, at home live stream, um, you know, we do the, the special Christmas moments, whether it's been a cantata in the past or what we're doing this year, because there are folks during the Christmas season who will, who will turn to God. In some way, they're going to turn to God. And, and you and I have lived in the reality of what impact does this God bring when you turn to him? He'll turn your world upside down. He will bring something into your life you could not have imagined could come true. And so there are friends and relatives and people and coworkers that are in our lives that they don't come to work every day and they don't sit across the Thanksgiving table from you and tell you just how broken they feel on the inside. But they are broken. And you know something about that too, right? What if you could share with them something that could take them from brokenness to hope? Right? I won't spoil the story, but I watched one of, because we put these testimonies into short videos. I watched one person I have known for years tell me about her chapter of brokenness. And I almost didn't recognize her. It was so heavy and so broken. But the person that I've known, the entire time that I've known her, is a person who lives in hope. I have never felt her brokenness the way she described it. Until she just took a moment to say, this is what brokenness was like in my chapter. Because the only thing I've known about this person, I mean, I know that story. But the person I know lives in hope. She never sounds that way. That's who God is. He can show up in your family members, in your friends' lives, in the darkest of brokenness inside of them. And he can bring a hope into their lives that nothing else can bring. And you and I can invite them to get around that God next weekend and, and just watch what he does. So can we just pray for a moment about next weekend? Because you're going to interact with some folks. You're going to send out a video or an invitation, whatever we provide with you on, online this week, to just let a friend or relative know, hey, you want to come to this? My church is doing it. I think it'd be a great time. I think you'd enjoy it. Let's just pray together. And you guys who are watching at home, let's pray together for a moment. Lord, this season that we commemorate no matter where we come from lord everybody commemorates this moment this 
Christmas moment. Lord, how did this ever get such a significant place on the human calendar? Well, God, it, it is the moment in which you invaded our world. You invaded our desperation. You invaded the emptiness that we can feel. You invaded things that have gone wrong in our lives that we've never been able to fix and sometimes feel like we can never get past them. But you came and you did something that brings a hope. It restores a hope in our lives. And Lord, so grateful for getting to experience that. And I know many of us are so grateful for that. And Lord, we just pray for the many people that are in our lives whose stories were just like our story. We had our own brokenness that you needed to invade. But Lord, right now there's there's a secretary in my life or there's a, a cousin in my world. There's a neighbor. There's somebody that I know whose life just feels broken. And this year has made it all the worse. Lord, that you have a hope for them, Lord. Would you help us as we give opportunity for them to be introduced to the hope that's invaded our world, invaded our lives. So Lord, lead us this week that next week there may be many folks here gathered with us who get to taste and see the hope that you have brought into this world in sending your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we are in Romans chapter 5, and we are installing the next thought in the return of hope. And last week, I introduced you to the Apostle Paul as a master chef, cooking up what he describes as a hope that does not disappoint. Right? How about a hope like that? Right? I, mean, I can remember the phrase, my, my parents must have used the phrase on me for some variety of reasons that I don't necessarily recall, but you know, don't get your hopes up. Don't, don't get your hopes up, right? You know, if you, that's just an advertisement for if you put your hopes exaggeratedly in the wrong place, you're just going to be disappointed, right? But what if the Bible is highlighting a hope that does not and cannot disappoint? Well, that's what's in this passage, right? Let's read Romans 5 and get it before us again. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame or our hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, I kind of chose to to let us pull the ingredients out of this passage, right? This this passage smells like hope. You hear hope cooking in the kitchen here. But there's some ingredients in here, right? Just like everything that, that you love that your mom or your wife is cooking or somebody who's a really good chef in your home cooks, there's ingredients that they put in there that made this smell the way it does. And so in this recipe for hope, there, there's peace with God. There's access to grace, right? Um, some of these I'm trying to give away to the other pastors to preach, and I'm really hating that I'm doing that. Because can you imagine, there's hope in your life because you have access to grace, right? No matter what's going on in your world right now, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad you have been, no matter how bad your decisions that have messed up your life have been, you still have hope. Why? Because you have access to grace, There's this process that's described here that we looked at last week. There is this love that has been poured into our hearts, right? These are the ingredients that bring hope into our lives. And listen, there's a lot of doctrine in here. There's big words like justified, right? There's doctrine here. You know, you can't go very far in the book of Romans without bumping into heavy, weighty doctrine. But but I hope you get this, especially those of you who love to study doctrine. I hope you love to study it for the right reasons. Uh, the doctrine in the Bible is not there to make you an egghead. 
Somebody who can debate the angles on the reasonings that are there. Now, that's necessary because we have to defend doctrine. But you know the reason for doctrine? It's to get us to places like hope. Right? Doctrine exists to produce in us something, an experience in our lives. Not just for you to be able to corner somebody else with your arguments on what's right and what's not right doctrine. But to produce something in you. Right, I'm, I'm probably not going to get to this first, but Romans is filled with the word hope. It just invades this book. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What do we believe? Well, we believe doctrine, but, but what is that doctrine after? It's after joy and peace and hope so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's a doctrine. You may abound in hope, right? So you can believe here all kinds of stuff. You can be charismatic. You can be cessationist. Whatever you are, whatever your doctrine about the Holy Spirit is, when he goes to work in our lives, he wants us to abound in hope. God's after something in our lives. He wants joy and peace and hope. So he tells us certain things and he reveals those things to us. But one of the things I noticed in this passage, and we've noticed as we've toured through a little bit of the Bible on hope, is God brings hope to us in some unexpected ways, right? Our first week we spent with Jeremiah was God's plans. I know the plans I have for you. And we remembered that that context was important, not just to memorize that passage. That context is God writing a letter to people who have been temporarily, temporarily relocated to a rather not good spot on the earth. Right? Do you know that God could write you a letter and say, I know the plans I have for you while you have been temporarily relocated from whatever it is that you think is good in your life. God could temporarily relocate you in order to give you a hope. Because, you know, sometimes you can live in really good spaces in your life and not feel hope. Right? I think a lot of us can get in touch with that. We're Americans. We live the most luxuriant fun-filled, adventurous, extra stuff life on the planet. Yet we can be some of the most hopeless people on the planet. There are people in poverty who are more enjoyable to be around than many, many Americans are. Right? There's something missing. So God has this plan. And then we, we learned last week that God has this process to bring hope into our lives. His plans right to move you over there. Well, his process cooks you. Right? He brings heat and he brings suffering. And through that suffering, endurance comes into our lives. And we walk through that season and then character gets formed in us. And that produces hope. So listen, you know, if you and I are signing up for hope, stand in the line, right? It's a process that might begin with suffering. You might actually be signing up for suffering that's going to go through endurance, that's going to bring character, that's going to produce hope. Well, today, there's another ingredient in Romans chapter 5. It's, it's hidden there in verse 2 that's about God's purpose, right? So we've seen God's plan. We have seen God's process. Today, we're going to see God's purpose, God's single purpose. There's a lot of stuff going on, right? Just like in that passage, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. But there is one purpose, one thing that's bigger than everything else. How many of you guys remember the movie City Slickers? You guys remember that? Billy Crystal, I don't remember the cast of characters. But it tells the story of these three men who are going through midlife crisis. That's, that's where they are at, in life. And they all live in the city. And they're going to go to this out way out west this this cattle run they're going to go live in the in the wild and ride horses and get simple and just do hard man work out west and they're going to drive these cattle across the terrain and through these dangerous settings it's just a great colorful list of characters and but these guys are trying to find themselves right they have found themselves in a place in midlife where all of a sudden they're just asking questions about life because life don't feel right and each of them has their own version of it. You know, you got one guy whose life didn't feel right. So he had an affair on his wife. He wrecked his marriage. So he's there living in the guilt. And I've lost my family. I've lost everything. One of the other guys is there and he's just depressed. I mean, he's just in this point in life where 
what does it really mean? Why have I done all this? I mean, he's just having a midlife crisis. And so he's getting away to go find himself. And this is perfectly time, right? I mean, sometimes our culture actually taps into some realities. This is the early 90s, right? So I'm, I'm coming into young adulthood through the 80s. And the 80s was an incredible period of great materialism, right? The, the Reagan years and the following years after that, country was taken off. You can invest in the stock market and you could, do, you could make lots of money just in a few years. You'd be all, you know, everything was just blowing up and growing and returns were incredible. But you get into the 90s and people have had stuff and they still don't have hope. Hope is just not in their world. And so these three guys represent your typical people who go off to go find what's going to bring me hope. And while they're there, they run into this rough character played by Jack Palance, who is Curly. He's the, the cattle rustler. Of course, you know, Curly's the rough guy with the sagey advice. So at some moment, I got a picture of Curly. I think I got a picture of Curly joining us here. Help me out here, guys. No? What happened to Curly? You killed Curly too? I told you to kill Billy. I didn't tell you to kill Curly. You guys. All right, so here's what Curly does. And I really need Curly's picture. So if you find that, you put him up at any time in the service because Curly, smoking his cigarette, sitting on his horse, having a conversation with Billy Crystal because he's listening to all these city people complain about their lives. And here's Sagey Curly's advice. Curly says, do you know what the secret of life is? And And he does this. And Mitch, who's played... Billy Crystal's part. He says, your finger? (laughs) Curly says, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and the rest don't mean whatever he said. (laughs) Mitch says, but what is the one thing? And Curly says, well, that's what you need to figure out. And so the moral of the story here is, right? You're going through this crisis Life has lost its meaning. You don't feel hopeful. But here's what you got to figure out, right? We got, there he is. Hey, Jack, thanks for joining us today. Special guest, Jack Palance. You got to figure out whatever's going to fix you, right? Whatever's going to be for you, you got to figure that out. And now if you follow the rest of the story, because this is in the middle when they're all kind of freaking out, when they all get to the end of the story, it's one big happy ending. All three of these men in midlife crisis have their hope renewed. They go back to the city ready to live hope. And they even explain, like in one sentence, what was it that they found while they were gone that fixed their hope? All right. Well, is that really how it works? Is there, you know, of the millions of people on planet Earth, are are there just millions of things out there that you just need to go dig around and find that unique thing, that, that soulmate of yours, that destiny of yours? Are these words you're familiar with? Right? It's about you tapping into the one thing that uniquely is going to fit the wiring of who you are as an individual. And it's going to make you finally come to life and have hope. Right? Okay. But doesn't it make sense that if there is a creator in our universe who crafted and created things and he had a purpose. Wouldn't it make sense that the purpose for us would match the purpose he had. All right, so if I'm shopping today, do I need to start with me, my personality? Let me take a personality profile. Let me figure out something unique about me. Let me look at my tendencies and my strengths. Let me analyze me and start with me and figure out what is it that I'm uniquely wired for that I gotta get plugged in that's gonna bring me hope. Is that where I start? Well, listen, that's what it sounds like we're being told to do. Wouldn't it make more sense to figure out, okay, I didn't create me, but I was created. And that creator had something that he was wiring me for. Can I break news to us? And he wired us all for the same thing. Doesn't mean we're not uniquely individual. We look different. We have different talents and abilities, but we're all wired for this one thing. And Paul breaks this one thing out and he mentions it very subtly. You got to look at the rest of the Bible to get the weight of this one line in Romans chapter five, verse two. And we rejoice 
in hope of the glory of God. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice in hope. What's your hope? What's your hope? What's your hope? What about your hope? What's my hope when I'm 13 years old? What's my hope when I'm 64? We rejoice in hope of one thing. The glory of God. Now, can I just tell you, when you're in Romans 5, just in this one little passage, that's going to just get mentioned amongst other things. But can I tell you, when you read the whole Bible, you will find nothing bigger than those few words. The glory of God. There's nothing more important, more vital, more highlighted, more central to everything else that's in the Bible. Jonathan Edwards Highlighting this said, having thus considered what are spoken of in the Holy Scripture as the ends, right? He wrote this message called the end for which God created the world. He said the ends which God ultimately had in view in the creation of the world. Let us begin with the phrase, the glory of God. It appears if the whole of what is said relating to this affair by be duly weighed and on part Compared with another, we shall have reason to think that the design of the Spirit of God is not to represent God's ultimate end as manifold, but as one. Now, God is doing many things, but ultimately, He is doing one thing. For it appears that all that is ever spoken of in the Scriptures as an ultimate end of God's works is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. Thus we see that the great end of God's works, which is so variously expressed in scripture, is indeed but one. And this one end is most properly and comprehensively called the glory of God. Now, if you have been in church, if you've been in this church for a while, because I I don't know of a greater theme than that. I have no greater theme than that. The glory of God. But if you're not familiar with reading the Bible and being saturated by what it continues to point us to and reference, we might have a hard time even describing what on earth is the glory of God. What's it even about, right? And, And we've done lengthy series on that, so I can't attempt to try and go into the detailed uh, explanation of that today. But you're here today and every one of us are living life with a desire for hope to fill the sails of our lives, to provide for us the motivation to get up in the morning and live life with zeal, to face it one more time, to do the hard thing that's been invading our lives, to live another day of 2020. And some of us are just hoping in the mystery of 2021, right? Because we just think it can't be as bad as 2020. So it's got to be good. I just have hope in the thing I have no idea what 2021 is going to be. You do realize it could be worse, right? The year in and of itself. I mean, hey, they could get a vaccine, but your world could get turned upside down. But there's this mystery. We, we want to hope in something. But what if the Bible all along has been offering us one thing? Thank you, Jack Palance. One thing. When you get that one thing, right, it will change everything. Well, this idea, the glory of God, if we go back to the very creation, let me just give you a little quick skim, right? If we start from the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, God, what did you have in mind? What'd you do that for? What was that ultimately going to be about? Because you and I are living in the heavens and the earth. What's that got to do with us? Well, you know, if you just read through scripture, you'd find things like Psalm 19, right? What's going on in the heavens? Psalm 19, verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So so what's the heavens all about, right? Why do these heavens exist? Psalm eight, verse one. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your Glory above the heavens. God, you created these heavens, this expanse. What'd you have in mind? 
that, that they would proclaim my glory. That's what I had in mind. When you stare up at them and you don't see that, you are blind to what matters the most. You gaze up at the stars and the expanse and the amazement of the universe that you can find no edges. And you miss seeing the glory of God. You miss the point. Right? And we all stare at the sky at night. We miss the point a lot, don't we? It's just the nature of life. What about the earth? God created the heavens and the earth. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, why'd you create the earth? So that I could fill it with the knowledge of my glory. Psalm 72. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Verse 19 says, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. God, why'd you create the heavens and why'd you create the earth? So that I could fill it with my glory. But God, there's a lot of stuff going on here. That's true. And it all is somehow about the glory of God. And then God creates us, right? He creates a lot of things. We won't go into all of them. Verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Well, why? God, why are you doing that? Why, why is Adam and Eve about to exist? Why is the race of man about to exist? And you're going to get born and you got a birthday and you come into life and consciousness. Why do you exist? Isaiah, the prophet in verse 7 of chapter 43 says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why? Why do we exist? You exist for my glory. So, Curly, what's that one thing again? What's that one thing that we need to discover? Can I, can I just warn you? It's not different for everybody. And it's not inside of you. Doesn't mean you're not unique doesn't mean God didn't uniquely design you and your life with specific talents. But if you've got a particular talent, you have an ability to think a certain way. You have certain skills that get noticed by others. Do you know why God created those things? For the same reason that the stars make us go, wow. And you can't find the ends of it, huh? Wow. If something that this God created is like that, what is he like? How amazing is he? And then you bump into some quality in a human being. And that person is like the most brilliant human being you've ever seen in your life. And you're thinking, huh, he's just a person. What might the God who created him be like? And this God who gave us taste buds and emotions and the ability to exist in a physical dimension, but also an internal soulish dimension to touch life, but to feel life as well. If God did all that, what must he be like? Right now, how many of us just, we come short of that. We don't even bring God into the discussion. It's just about whether that person can get in touch with a little bit of what God created and write a cool song. And we go, boy, you know, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, you know, little boy blue. And we're like, oh, I so relate to that. Oh, that's what my childhood feel like. And now I've turned into that. I'm a dad. And we're like, oh, we're so affected by that. And there's no God in the discussion. Do you understand? And a per person's ability to capture this life and put it into a song that makes us all go, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. Why does that exist? For the glory of God. If, if that person could do that, what must this God be like who created him? Right? That's why these things exist. And if you dial into any moment, any moment in human history, the glory of God is what's going on in that moment. 
Now, unfortunately, you and I just don't get to see it, right? Let me just point, I've, I've used a couple of these examples before, but I just find them stunning because this is the, the hum in the background of everything that you don't necessarily hear too easily, right? But at any moment, dial into any moment, right? Let's dial into Isaiah's moment here in Isaiah chapter six. And he tells us when it is in this moment. It just happens. To, hey, let's just pick that moment off the calendar. Okay, in the year that King Uzziah died. All right, let's pick that moment, Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? This is the moment that all of a sudden Isaiah just says, can I just take a break from ground level just for a second? And I'm going to peel back the heavens. I'm gonna, there's this weird hum. I hear it. What's going on behind that hum? And he stares in the heaven and this is what he sees. Now listen, if he stops staring at that and he looks over here, somebody's yelling at him from across the street. Hey, idiot, why'd you park your chariot here? That's life at this level. And he can keep doing that and he can just live at it. But in that same moment where he parked his chariot in the wrong place, this is what's going on. There are angelic, powerful beings that would freak you out if you could see them. And they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. They are enamored with the glory of God. And then you fast forward from Isaiah's day all the way to Revelation chapter 4. Just another moment. Hey, John, what's going on? Well, after this, I looked and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And he got the same moment to look up from where he was in life. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Greg, can you hear that? That little bit of weird hum behind your daily life. It's just a little hum. It's the hum of heaven. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and around the throne. Here we go. Same on each side, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around. It's like God loaded them up with eyes. Why? So they could see his glory. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, that's what they do. Why do these creatures exist? Why do they got so many eyes? Why are they equipped the way they do? To give glory to God and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy, right there, that's who's worthy. Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Glory, and I'll explain this as quickly as possible, but glory lives in this category of worthy. Glory, when you give glory to God, you discover that which is ultimately worthy. That's what you're doing. So I love the fact that they're crowns, right? These, These kings had somehow obtained crowns. Crowns are valuable, right? I mean, they're made of valuable stuff, but they represent something. They represent your power, your position in this life. But when they stand before the presence of God, they take those crowns off as a statement of worthiness because they know, hey, you know what? I wear this crown because some people honor me with authority and position and it's made of something that's precious and it's a unique role that I get to play that nobody else in the land gets to play. That's how king's crowns operate. But when they stand before God, they take all that and they go, no, no, not worthy not worthy for me to hold on to this and cling to it. That is worthy. 
This is a declaration that all things exist and were created to turn to the God who made it and bring glory to his name. So if you pick any moment in the history of humanity and all the people that God has ordained are playing their parts, it's the glory of God that is intended to be seen in that moment, right? So here we are in the season of Christmas celebrating the incarnation. What is the incarnation about? That word glory, if you never knew what it was, you at least got around it around Christmas because that glory word is in a lot of Christmas songs, right? Well, this is what the incarnation is about. Luke chapter two, verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? So this moment, this Christmas moment with all of its specialness, what's it about? The angels immediately know what's about. This incarnation of the Christ is about revealing the glory of God. They see it and immediately turn to him, right? This is, this is a, this is a reflex that needs to get learned, isn't it? For us to, to stare at things that God has created and done and immediately turn to him. Oh God, that tells me something about you. That is amazing. But you are the creator of that. Which, you are the one that I'm drawing my attention to. I'm not lost in this story or this month. You are what this points me to. Right? John 1.14, this incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Right? Let's bring that up first. Jesus came among us. And what did we see? We saw his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 12, verse 27. Later in Jesus' life, the moment has come. And he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is the son of God. What was your purpose? I'm trying to figure out my purpose. The city slickers are trying to figure out their purpose. Jesus declares, what was his purpose in coming? For this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Do you understand what a life-defining exchange this is? That in any moment, I can stare at my trouble. Now, you know, I don't do this very well. I tend to stare at my trouble, complain, freak out, use every prayer technique that I know to change it into something that I'm more comfortable with, right? So I I don't know. I don't use exactly these words, but pretty much I am saying, Lord, save me from this hour. That's what I'm all about. Lord, this is not the hour I wanted. This is not how hard I wanted this to be. I did not want to walk through this. I feel insecure. I feel unsafe. I feel threatened. This doesn't look positive. This isn't headed in a good direction. God, yes, save me from this hour. That's exactly what I sound like I'm praying. Jesus, being the perfect man, stops in that moment and says, this is not about my good, my moment, what I prefer, my convenience, my comforts. I'm here for the glory of God. That's why I came. And that's why we're here, right? This is the storyline of my life. I am created for the glory of God. Not in this moment to figure out, okay, let me navigate the easiest way. Let me navigate the quickest way. Let me navigate the wealthiest way. That's not the strategy that's floating in the heart that produces this hope. No, we are here for the glory of God. John 17, one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is it. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. This is a defining existence. This is the one thing. It was the one thing for Jesus. When he comes to the earth, it is our one thing as well. Now notice, if the glory of God is the one thing, then, then it will become the battleground of life. If it is the one thing, don't you think the devil knows that it's the one thing? He's had front row seats to things that you and I have only read about from a distance. You best know he knows what the one thing is 
Uh, he was after it. It's what turned his world upside down. He wanted the glory. He didn't want to exist for the glory of God. He wanted to exchange glories. He wanted God to take a lesser role. He wanted a greater role in the quest for glory. Now, listen, that glory, what is that glory before I read this next verse? What is glory? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the, the word in the Hebrew is the word chabad. And it's a strange word because it's more like, if you're a chemistry freak, it's more like the word density. It's more like it's what makes the substance of something what it is, right? So, you know, styrofoam can be this big and, it, and it's like light and fluffy and throw it around. But if you take a piece of gold and it's this big, you couldn't pick it up, right? Because it's made of something. It's got density to it. It's got qualities. Well, the glory of God is about the qualities of God, the personality of God, what he is and what he's like and what he's made of, his beauty, his infiniteness, right? This, this is the glory of God. And then he just kind of sprinkles some of that into his creation and he throws some of it into our personalities and who we are and all around creation. There's this little flakes of God's glory spread all over the place. But ultimately, all that they do is point back to him as this incredible being that we are motivated by that glory and not the glories we can find anywhere else. But if the devil's coming to you, he just wants to adjust your glory. So before he arrives, can I just tell you, that's going to be his agenda. When he starts the conversation, um, if, you, if you make the mistake of having a conversation with him, he is going to be after relocating the glory. That's what he wants to do, right? And that's what he did with Jesus. Here's the incarnate who's going to at the end say, you know, Father, glorify your name. That's why I'm here. Well, that's not exactly what the devil was offering him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, their weighty substance, their amazement. Isn't this cool? Aren't you impressed? Wouldn't you like to have this? Can you imagine what this would do for you? How that would make you feel? How much better about yourself you would feel? How much more hopeful you would feel, right? That's the deal. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Right? I wrote a couple of thoughts here just for sake of time. Look in your outline there. Just listen, when Satan goes to bribe Jesus, he seeks to sell him a different glory. Can I interest you in a different glory? And notice what comes with this deal in the same conversation. What comes with relocated glory is also relocated worship. Right? Because worship is about worth. Worship is about value. Worship is about everything that we go, hey, hey, can you look at this? Did you see that? Right? That's caught our attention. That's a big enough deal for you and I to take a second look at it and not treat it like it's nothing. It's something that we're impressed by. It's unique, it's rare, it's never been done before. It's powerful, it's influential. Whatever it is, glory pulls worship toward it. So Jesus immediately knows, you're, you're wanting me to change worship. That's what you want me to do. You want me to find something more valuable than the glory of God and to worship that. Now, now be wise in this moment because if... If glory gets relocated, worship will get relocated, which means our hearts will be attached to that, which means hope will get relocated as well. And if it's not the glory of God, whatever glory it is, we have just relocated our hope to something that will disappoint. Right? This hope that is offered to us in Romans 5 is hope in the glory of God. Right? And we're not the first... Jesus wasn't the first man to face the temptation of the devil in his attempt to relocate glory, right? The first Adam didn't do too well in that exchange. Romans chapter 1 kind of tells his story and the rest of us as well. Verse 21, for although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, right? They didn't take a second look. There wasn't just, hey, everybody in my life, have you noticed God, right? That's what Christians, that's why Christians are weird because they draw attention to things that nobody's paying attention to, right? You just try that today. Try that today. Wherever you're hanging out today, crank up a conversation about the Saints game and, and talk about, you know, some incredible Taysom Hill play and everybody will go with you there. That wall beyond comparison, that was unbelievable, right? And we'll all worship together. Turn the attention to the glory of God and make a big deal out of his glory and people will look at you like you are a two-headed weirdo. Right? We just don't go there. Right? So even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the war of temptation. This is what temptation is after. A glory exchange for us to find God's glory less valuable than anything else. Something else is just wanting to be of greater glory. John Piper says glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness that make much of God. Uh, you know, I don't know if, 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 if you want to figure out whether you are really a Christian or not, do you make much of God? Right? Cause to see God as the savior of the universe for whom you are willing to surrender every molecule of your life because he is more worthy of possessing it than you are, you're going to have to be a person who makes much of God if there's nothing in you that makes much of God. It's like, well, yeah, well, I'm going to go to church. and Yeah, I mean, God's cool. You know, I'm, I'm cool with God. I'm cool with people who want to be cool with God too. I'm, yeah, it's cool. But you don't make much of him. There's something wrong. Can I just tell you, there's no way you can see God and really see God and not want to make much of him. I'm telling you, if you don't make much of him, I don't know. You just haven't seen him. I mean, there's stuff in your life right now that if I just showed you, I mean, I was talking to a couple of guys this morning. They were telling me about some replay of some game yesterday, right? It was so unusual and so amazing that it had to come up this morning. We had to talk about that, right? That was worthy. The, uh, my attention was being brought to, hey, how unusual. Look at this, right? I mean, you guys watch the LSU game? Right? You're kind of like, oh, wow. Did you talk about it to anybody afterwards? Right? Because there's something that went on there that's kind of like, oh, did you see that? That ain't like, that ain't like every day. That ain't that common. Uh, listen, if God hadn't done that for you, you hadn't seen something about God that makes you have a highlight reel about him, uh, there's something wrong. I can just tell you, go take a second look. You haven't seen something. Right? This word... Glory, it's a calibrating word, if you will, right? It it, it sets all your instruments. When you go to measure something, you you need a standard of measure. Glory is that standard. When you install glory, the glory of God, everything else now can find its place in the right place. You can figure out what's really of super value and what's really not that important. Glory does that. 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all To the glory of God. So I know every one of us are trying to have a a life, a good life, a meaningful life. And we think that one thing, if I can just find that one thing. Are you looking inside of you for that one thing? Are you looking to God to figure out what that one thing is? Is the one thing the thing that makes you feel relevant, that makes you feel important, that makes you feel appreciated? Is that what you glory in? I glory in the feelings that the people in my life esteem me highly. I glory in that. But what if I could put you in the same room with the glory of God? What if that could happen? And the glory of God could find its place. Your, your desire, your craving, your worship of people relating to you in a way that validates you and makes you feel a certain way. 
it would get smaller and smaller and smaller in your life. Can you, can you just go with me? Most of the misery in our lives, the anxiousness in our lives, the controlling behavior in our lives, the fact that we freak out because of the way somebody treated us, most of that stuff is, is there because we have misplaced glory. God's glory is small. And whatever it is that we've come to value that the devil offered us, kingdoms of something, are big and we fight for them and we freak out whether we're going to have them or not. Do you understand that, that fighting and freaking out? That's not hope. That's just chronically disappointing, isn't it? Over and over and over again. But you got to get this right. You got to be able to compare the glory of those things with the glory of God. Right? Look, listen to what happens when that glory comparison takes place. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? Paul gets it. And Romans 8 presents this hope, right? For in this hope, what, what hope is that? Well, you just said Romans chapter 5, we hope in the glory of God. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait. What are you waiting for? You're really waiting for. Because along the way, these verses highlight this sense of difficulty and pain and setback comes into our lives. Like First, Second Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction. Well, how can you use these words like this? Light and momentary? Do you know what I'm going through? Light and momentary. How can you use those words? What are we talking about? A red light? I, this is delaying me. 28 seconds. I'm going to be late. 28 seconds. I, yeah, I could pull that verse out and say, this light momentary affliction. But that's not what's being described here. It is the gut-wrenching realities of this world that are being described here. And they're being called light and momentary. How can you call that light and momentary? Because there's this other thing in the room that's really, really big and weighty. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? You see, when this glory gets in the room with us, it just reorients everything and it makes everything take on the right scale for us. So here's my question. What, what is the biggest thing in your life? Right now, but just period, in general, you just bump into it. What's the biggest thing in your life? What category? What sort of future? What turns you inside out the most? What animates you the most? What captures your interest? What's the biggest thing in your life? What are you waiting for? Longing for and hoping for. Titus picks up this theme. Paul writes to Titus and says, here's a good summary statement for your life, right? This is, you want to just have a quick summary statement of your life? Here it is. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, right? So, there's an appearance in our summary story. The grace of God has appeared and saved us. And then there's this training, this thing going on in the right here and the right now where you and I are being changed. We're being renovated. God is at work. He is detaching us from some things. He's attaching us to others. There's this training thing going on. And then the last thing is this, we are waiting. This is a summary statement of your life. Grace has appeared. Training is taking place and we are waiting. We're not there yet. We're waiting. What are we waiting for? For our blessed hope. What is that? The appearing of this glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what we're waiting for. That is our blessed hope. That what we just described and what you and I can just kind of barely describe. This weighty thing, aspect called the glory of God. At some point it's going to fully appear, right? I mean, the heavens are telling of it, but they're not, you know, they're doing a limited job. 
There's stuff in our world that tells of the glory of God doing a limited job. But one day we will see him face to face and this glory will be fully seen and fully recognized and fully grasped by us. We are waiting for that day that, and we are anticipating it. And it's just before us constantly. I remember Ronald a few weeks ago in his message was talking about being a moviegoer. Um, real life moviegoing experience. Uh, my, a couple of my kids, I don't remember which ones it were, decided we were going to go see the Marvel Avengers movie. Uh, I think it was the Infinity War one. And we were going to go on opening night. It's, it's a cultural experience. There are people everywhere. Massive crowd is there. Uh, too many of them are 40-something-year-old overweight men wearing Marvel stuff and gear. I I didn't want to ask them if they lived with their mom, but I was tempted. (laughs) And they are talking and buzzing. The lobby is full of anticipation. People are standing in enormous lines to get their popcorn. But I'm pretty sure they weren't there for the popcorn. And then they've gotten there early to get a good seat. They sit through, if you get the too early to a movie, I know Ronald likes to see the previews, but there's just cheesy, bad local advertisements that take place before the previews. I mean, they're just bad. These are people who can't afford to do real commercials, so they just kind of do stuff in the movie theater instead. And so you sit through that. I'm pretty sure they weren't there for that, though. And, and then they sit through the previews. The previews are kind of cool. There's something coming up, and it's kind of a movie sort of like the one you're seeing, so it's a little bit more kind of, okay, that captures my attention a little bit. But then the moment arrives. And the big lion comes out with a little thing around his head. And he roars. And it's like, right? I mean, you feel this rush. Like, oh, we've been waiting two years for this movie and it's out. It's here. And, and, and the first character comes on and all the nerds applaud. You know? It's like, he, he can't hear you. I don't know if you knew that or not. But Captain America can't hear you. Let's just watch the movie, okay? I mean, it's just a strange experience. This is a glory moment. There's glory in the theater. There's something not like anything else. There's excitement. There's anticipation. They have entered this theater with massive hope. You know, the the best sequel ever is coming. We've been waiting for a little while. He came the first time, but part two is coming and he's coming back in part two. And and we are going to be like those nerdy little guys in the audience. We're going to be dressed in our Jesus gear. But, but listen, don't make the mistake. What are we waiting for? We wait, we're waiting for popcorn. Is that why we're here? Hey, no, popcorn's cool. I love popcorn. I eat lots of it. Waiting for the bad, cheesy advertisements before the movie starts. We're waiting for the previews. I mean, they're kind of fun. No, no. We are there for the moment when the opening scene shows up and the storyline. What happens next? I don't want to see it. What happens next? Well, that's what Titus is describing. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. That's what we're waiting for. And we wait for that in hope. Listen, if if that isn't the hope of all hopes that animates our lives, I promise you every other hope is just waiting for its moment to disappoint you. Every other hope. Are we waiting for a vaccine? Yeah. Yeah, but let's wait for a vaccine like somebody waits for the, you know, the, the previews. You waiting for a good job? You know, is anything wrong with that? That you'd like to have a good job, provide well, be able to live a certain life, etc. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with waiting for that. Nothing wrong with having some hopes for that. But that's kind of like, you know, having a good seat. It's not the movie. But having a good seat helps, right? You're waiting to get married one day. They have children, they have a family. Hey, that, that's meaningful. That's, that, that, that's going to do something in your life. Is that something wrong with waiting and hoping for that? No, no, but, but, but kind of hope for it like you're hoping the popcorn's good. There's this one thing. One thing. We're waiting for one thing. 
the appearing of that glory that makes up this God and who he is. And we've tasted a little piece of it. We've gotten around love and we've gotten around mercy and kindness and power, authority. We've tasted little bitty pieces of this glory, little flakes of it scattered in the universe with us. But what are we waiting for? Ultimately, ultimately, my soul is waiting for one thing. That for which I was created. I was created for the glory of God. And every prize and everything that I own and everything that matters an ounce to me is going to be like a crown that I take off in that presence. And I go, that's glorious. And I bow before him and my heart is overwhelmed in worship. I experience this God without a hindrance without barriers, without my flesh in the way, without my bad day and my emotions and my stupidity and my waywardness. None of that is there anymore. Is that today? No. No, right now we're just kind of standing in line waiting for the popcorn. But you know, nobody in that auditorium lobby was depressed. I didn't see anybody upset. I didn't see anybody sad. They were lit up. Not over the popcorn. The movie was about to appear. The one we've been waiting for since the last one. See, that's what life can feel like. It can feel like the lobby of the sequel. And that's who we're called to put our hope in. So listen, if we've traveled through this return of hope, we need to be careful that we're putting hope in the right place. We're seeking hope from the right thing. And Paul's helpful little phrase here. And we rejoice like people standing in the lobby in hope of the glory of God. Let's stand up together. Lord, as we survey this glory of yours, we sit here today too much like the first Adam, not enough like the second Adam. Aware that even, even today, Lord, our, our week has lacked this joyful, hopeful anticipation Because, Lord, in just daily spaces of our lives, we have exchanged your glory for some other glory. And our hope is set in that place and how that's going and how that's making us feel, what our future looks like based on that glory and possessing that glory. So, God, right now, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you help us? Just let us see that. Just let us see how much influence some other treasure, some other glory is having on what we worship, on what we value, on what we run after. Because Lord, that stuff is pulling on our hope. And Lord, I pray for every one of us who are here right now and every one of us watching through live stream, Lord, that if we have found ourselves in a place where hope feels distant, hope is not active hope is not influential it feels like it's left the building on me Lord, there's a little mystery in this category but there's some practical realities here lord lord have have i misplaced value in my life have i begun to worship something else did i fall for the trick of the devil when he came to me when I was a teenager, when I was a young person, when I got married, whenever it was. And he said, hey, Keith, how about the glories of this? And I didn't notice that if I chose those glories, I would change my worship and I would lose hope. Well, fix that for us, will you? Would you step into these moments and just touch these things? You taught us these things. These are your words preserved for us. In moments when we've misplaced our hope, Lord, would you help us find your glory as the most glorious thing that we could ever have, possess, know, or pursue? 
then, Lord, everything else becomes momentary, light, not as animating, not as worthy. So, Father, we want hope to return to our lives, Lord, and it can't get there unless glory brings worship. And worship reveals our hope. God, let us rediscover that. Give grace to us. And Lord, I pray for anybody who's here this morning. I pray for anybody watching today that can't recall a moment in their life when they exchange their own life, everything that they've been after, every life and every moment they want to live for your purpose for their lives. You created them for your glory. You sent your son Jesus to save them and bring them back in relationship with you. Lord, maybe some who are here or watching have never been reconciled to you. They've never come to the place where they laid their whole life before you in full surrender and said, Lord, I want you. I want to make a big deal out of you. I want to live for you. I want to be restored to you. And I want to live every day of my life for your glory. Here, Lord, today, I give you my life. Put my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ. This Christmas season, he came. He came to reconcile me to God the Father. I believe that. I put my trust in that. And I put my hope in him to bring me to God. I surrender to you today, Lord. And give my life back to you. Father, for every person who's engaging that prayer right now, Lord, would you just lead them into the next steps of their lives? Lead them into this great purpose, this great adventure of now waiting for your return and the full appearing of your glory and living, Lord, having received grace, living, being trained in righteousness for your namesake. But Lord, we are waiting. We're waiting for the appearing of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, awesome week. Guys at home, thanks for being with us. Hey, don't forget, invite some folks to hear about going from brokenness to hope next week. Promise you, you'll be glad you did.